Hey all, time for a combination movie review, reality check. This time around I want to talk about the film, or should I simply call it a movie, Bad Education. That's the one with Hugh Jackman in the leading male role as Frank Tasson, while Allison Janney has the main female role portraying Pam Glucken. Those mains are partly my choice and partly what seems obvious in the story. Even though the internet movie database puts Jackman at the top of the cast list and Janie in the fourth position, maybe it's the first build qualifier, who cares? For me, the two main characters are those, and I'd even put Janie's character ahead of Jackman's, and you'll hear why as I move forward with this discussion. So, for those of you who haven't seen the movie, it's one of those based-on-real-events type things. It's not an all-the-president's-men or the post or bombshell. It's almost a caricature of the real-life event it purports to share with us. Basically, we are taken into a normal American school district on the East Coast, run by an ambitious superintendent, whose office seems to be in the high school, who has managed to not only endear himself to staff and students and the community at large, but has, through his excellent management skills, ensured that each year more senior graduating students are accepted into so-called Ivy League universities. The plot itself revolves around the embezzlement of funds, first seemingly at the hands of the assistant superintendent, Pam. Her skimming off of funds is pretty evident, almost from the outset. She almost seems a little disconnected from just how obvious her behavior is, through her entrusting some of that skimming to a son, portrayed as a bit of a bumbling idiot, and a niece, who is also portrayed as someone not as bright as one would expect of an accomplice in crime. The plot thickens as a student reporter delves into boxes of accounting records and discovers hefty invoices from non-existent companies, money moved from one place to another, while water leaks from suspended ceilings in the school, perhaps a visual metaphor for us as viewers. Though Jackman does a fine job of portraying the superintendent, even fooling me for a while that the guy was simply an innocent bystander, trying to do what was best for the school district, the students, the school board, the community, I personally think the real protagonist of the story should have been his assistant, Pam. Jackman's character is superficial throughout the film, not because of a superficial performance by the actor, but rather because the man being portrayed was superficial. It was the surface persona that he carefully groomed and portrayed that distracted the attention from what he himself was doing with state funds. The couple of times he showed his true colors, lashing out and threatening, it seemed forced, unnatural to me. Janie's character, Pam, though, was someone who could really demonstrate a human side to the drama, had drama been one of the aspects of the movie, something that was not the case. Pam is one of those aging, East Coast-type women who has been to university, has degrees under her belt, is ambitious as well, but only gets as far as playing second fiddle to Jackman's smooth operator, Tasson. In the first few scenes where we meet and barely get to know Pam, we could consider her the typical bitchy, smart woman who has gotten as far as she presently can in a man's world and realizes that because of circumstances, including her age, she probably won't get much further. Yet she wants better than she has. She wants the beautiful house with a pool. She wants the nice car. She wants to send her two children to good universities. She wants to give those pool parties and host among locally influential members of her community with a cocktail in her hand. 
Unfortunately, her salary as assistant superintendent, combined with whatever her husband makes at his car dealership, evidently isn't enough to pay for all of those things. Had we been given more insight into her persona, her conflicts, her background, aspirations, and frustrations, we might have looked at her as less the bitch and more the confused, late middle-aged woman who has been drawn into the superficial charm of her boss, who gets away with it, so why shouldn't she? She comments on how it all began, an innocent purchase with the wrong credit card. No problem, she'd reimburse the school and make the books reflect an honest mistake. She ends up fixing the books to cover not-so-honest spending and gets caught, in part because of her assumption that she probably won't get caught, in part because she shows incredibly poor character judgment of both her boss and her son, in part because it was really a lot of money and someone was bound to notice sometime. It was actually community action that brought about Pam's downfall, and finally the downfall of her boss, Tasson. In Long Island, the town is only as good as its public schools. The better the school system, the higher the price tag on the homes. And it was that community aspect of the entire story that I took for granted that my Spanish friend who saw the film with me was a bit taken aback by. What first caught his attention was a repeated reference to a relationship between the school's success in Ivy League college admissions to property values in the community, something mentioned in passing early on, and then used as an excuse to convince the school board to participate in a cover-up of Pam's crime. The system in Spain, and I'm no expert, so if anyone finds fault with this explanation, go ahead, is quite different from the system in the states for establishing school districts. As far as I know, there isn't really such a thing as a school district. Students are not put in particular schools because of where they geographically reside, but rather because of their acceptance into this or that school according to different criteria. Every year, parents need to apply to a particular public school for a place for their children. Most parents would like that school to be somewhere near their home, but there is no particular guarantee that such will be the case. Many parents send their kids to religious schools, and there are many private schools available as well. While there is an ever-changing national mandate on education in Spain, ever-changing because each time the government swings from left to right and back again, there is a new education law put in place, mainly changing the value of religious education in laic public schools. Is it required? Does it earn credits? Should it be optional? Should basic civics or social let's-get-along-with-one-another courses replace it? Well, schools are pretty much left up to their individual directors. Those directors have an obligation to comply with whatever the current national mandate is, but they generally run their educational centers as best they can. While there is a parents-teacher association of sorts, the APA, parents don't have a lot of say in the education of their children beyond being able to put them in a particular private school, if the tuition can be afforded. All public school teachers, and many private school teachers, I believe, are civil servants who have graduated with the appropriate degrees and then go through years of unstable contracts and civil servant exams until they might be lucky enough to land a more or less permanent job. The grading system in Spain is based on 10, and the passing grade across the board from grade school through university is a 5. If I were to translate that into the American grading system, Kids can pass a course with a C- or even D grade, and lots of them happily do. 
the entire school system is propped up with a fairly healthy private academy system. The most obvious example of this is the language academy, usually private businesses that hire native speakers, mostly English, to give twice a week one-hour language classes to kids after school hours. Other academies include those that help them with their homework or prepare them for important exams, exams either within the school structure or the oh-so-important EVAO, a sort of ACT or SAT exam that determines if a student can attend university, as well as what that student has the right to study. Students don't just go to university and study what they please. Their decision is based upon the final score of the EVAO. To highlight this, I'll point out that this same exam was previously known as the Selectividad, or the act of selecting. The selecting is obviously done in a different fashion in the States. The PTA in the first place has an important part in this, while the APA here in Spain kind of serves as a shadow organization to give parents the impression that their voice is heard, it does not reach the influence of a PTA in the States. That PTA is made up of people who have no choice but to send their kids to the school that is geographically located in the same district as their home, unless they want to pay for the schooling. That means that the community and the school are directly tied to one another. Extracurricular events such as football games, theatrical performances, seasonal choral performances, and the like are not a part of the Spanish parent-school relationship. You would never see a homecoming parade in Spain to mark the first home football game played by the local bulldogs or Trojans. The only people in the audience at a school show will be the parents of those participating. I'm not aware of school choirs doing Christmas concerts, though I'm sure some do, and again, with only parents in the audience, not the entire community. What my friend didn't understand was how that school system in the States could have an impact upon property values. And that's where schools in the States can be clearly benchmarked as socio-economic institutions. This was really evident in the film, when the school budget, which needed local and state approval to move forward, was linked to the scandal of the embezzlement of money from that same budget by two of the most trusted guardians of that money, the two entrusted to the correct spending of that money in the education of the children, those children who represented the future of the community. The community of the movie placed great importance upon how many students had been accepted into Harvard or Yale, how well the student body had performed in general on the ACT or SAT or any other standardized test that reflected the efficacy of the teaching, the quality of the education. Those kids would become the future doctors and lawyers and politicians who would possibly want to stay and help the community grow and enrich itself. They would need homes as well, and those would need to be nice homes in pleasant neighborhoods. This is what the entire system was set up to produce, a harvest of people who would not only continue in the tradition of the parents who had brought them into the community, but would contribute to that community's growth. My first high school in the Midwest was on the same track, though property value was not the driving force behind the final head harvest of students. I attended freshman year in a rural, consolidated school that served a number of smaller towns that did not have enough kids on their own to have their own high school. 
the grand majority of the families that sent their kids to those schools were either agricultural workers, farmers, livestock owners, dairy farmers, or had businesses that catered to agricultural needs. At that school, the Future Farmers of America was one of the most prestigious clubs. There was no French class, only Spanish, cultural activities limited to one school play a year, and the Christmas and spring concerts by the school choir. Lots of sports events, though. On moving to a new school district, this time in the further west, my second high school was a bit more like the school in the film. Parents were bankers. There were seemingly dozens of banks in town. Here's an anecdote. When my senior class prepared for prom with a tropical paradise theme, we borrowed frondi plants from all the banks in town and managed to create a virtual jungle in the gym. I think we got our hands on over 200 large fern-like plants in massive pots. I do remember it took us three days to bring them in and another three to return them to the banks. Uh, back to the list. Bankers, doctors, lawyers, dentists, builders, real estate moguls, mostly professional people. The student body was over 1,400 souls. My class alone was 444 students. A couple of years after I graduated, a new high school was built in order to split up the growing number of students and better serve the community's educational needs. And those needs were for the kids to become, like their parents, doctors, bankers, lawyers, and the like. The houses in the town were beautiful. There was an entire neighborhood that one knew was rich just by how far the houses were set back from the tree bank. Oh well, and by the trim bushes that successfully camouflaged the security fencing. The school offered Spanish, of course, there was a large Hispanic population in our area, but also German and French, despite there not being any German or French people anywhere about. I bring up the foreign language mainly because it was a requirement to get into any good university. While in my freshman year, I was a proud member of the Future Farmers of America, raising rabbits and keeping an organic vegetable garden, even winning first prize in an essay contest writing about the work dangers present in being a farmer, when I changed schools, I was in different activities. I was secretary-treasurer of my sophomore engineer class. I was in the drama club and got good roles, both in the school plays and two musicals. I was in the French club and got a cute ribbon for reciting a poem I didn't really understand in heavily accented French. I was a member of the National Forensic League and spent almost all of my Saturdays competing in speech meets, taking home a lot of trophies, and in my senior year taking fourth place in the state speech competition. Beyond my own interest, there was a strong music program including a jazz band, the marching band, and even an orchestra and string ensembles, chorus, and solo voice training. Arts were considered as important as math, science, language, and politics, almost as important as the super-supported sports program. What were they getting me ready for? Well, I was accepted at a fairly well-respected state university though I ended up putting off secondary education for another four years just because I didn't have the money for it. And was I going to study ornamental horticulture, as had been my goal in my freshman year? No, of course not. I was going to study theater management and direction. The young mind had been formed in the likeness of the community that hosted the high school and expected the harvest to bring the expected fruit to the community. 
So I have probably been a little unfair in the past, indicating that schools, at least in America, are simply places to park the kids while the parents are out having fun working their asses off to make that mortgage payment, though that is also part of the scheme. In Spain, it seems a lot more obvious that that is the end. Kids are sieved through the system, happy to get a C- or D and get through to the next class and maybe get a spot at some university that won't expect much more than a C- or D either, and then maybe, maybe get a job or pass that civil service exam that will make them eligible for some kind of work that they will become a slave to and will force them to park their kids in the same system time without end. In both cases, though, I still find it hard to believe that a main motivation for sending our kids to institutionalized schools is to educate them. The basics needed are pretty much covered in the first five or six years. What are the remaining six to twelve years for? How would education look differently if we take away the parking lot value and the property value aspects? If we whittle education down to what it should be, the teaching how to think, how to learn, how to be interested, curious, and find the answers just as the thinking, learning, interested, curious people before us found those answers we purport to teach our kids. The movie Bad Education was pretty highly praised. I enjoyed it, though found it, as I mentioned, to be more of a caricature than a critical presentation of humans caught within a system that flouts incredible spending before their noses while providing them with just enough, maybe even not enough, to get by, while turning vocation into babysitting and education into mine farms and real estate foundations. I recommend the film. It's a good watch, even though it could have been better. Oh! Look at the clock. It's time to go make something for dinner. Going to attend to what I have before me now in time and space. Cheers. You're listening to Radio Revels.